This week on Daiwa, we're featuring Page County. A famous band leader boards a small plane and is never seen again. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts. Beth LaValley and Allie Tulin. Page County. <laughs> Thought I'd try something different. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, I literally just looked this up. I'm not familiar with Page County at all, but I did find this fun fact. Did you know the county is named in honor of Captain John Page of the 4th U.S. Infantry, who was mortally wounded in the Battle of Palo Alto during the Mexican-American War. I had no idea. Thank you for that fun fact. <laughs> uh, I am I am very familiar with Page County, though. It's home to one of my favorite famous Iowans, which this episode may be about. Mm, mystery. <laughs> so, warning for the general people, this episode isn't like one of our typical stories, but <laughs> my difficult co-host uh, was too excited, and, you know, we can't pass up a good story. So, this is another cold case. <laughs> Sorry, I was way too excited for this story. And one more warning, the quote-unquote murder didn't mm. happen in Iowa this time. <laughs> It did happen abroad, but our subject was born in Clarinda, Iowa, and we thought it would be a really fun story to discuss, and especially because we know Taps is going to love the military background to it. Mm-hmm. So let's end the mystery now. <laughs> if you haven't already guessed, our story today is about Glenn Miller. Allie, why don't you introduce Glenn, because you have a soul connection to him. Yeah, you know I would love to. Glenn Miller was one of the most popular trombonists and band leaders of all time. He was really popular from 1939 to 1942, and I know that's only three years, but Glenn loved his country and decided to enlist in World War II at the height of his fame. So some of you may know his songs. <laughs> Some pop- if you're like 80 years old or above, you might know his songs. Maybe. So yeah, his his famous songs are like In the Mood, String of Pearls, Moonlight Serenade, or Chattanooga Choo Choo. It's at the top of my Spotify. <laughs> uh, so like we said, Glenn was born in Page County, specifically Clarinda, Iowa. And he was born in 1904 uh, to Maddie and Lewis Miller. He bought his first trombone to play in the town orchestra from the money he earned milking cows. At some point, the family moved to Nebraska and Missouri, and then finally Colorado. But Clorinda, Iowa's claim to fame, is Glenn's birthplace. There is a birth house in Clorinda, and it's now a museum, and every year there is a Glenn Miller Festival. So then, in high school, Glenn was actually known as the best left end in Colorado. I think that's a football position. And even though he was that good at football, his true passion was still playing with his band. So after high school, Glenn went on to enroll at the University of Colorado in Boulder, but dropped out after failing three out of his five classes. I did get to go to the University of Colorado in Boulder because my brother went to school there, and there is like a Glenn Miller Hall, I think, or auditorium, and you can like find Even his Even though he trombone. failed? Wow. Even though he Lo- failed, they still love him. 
low standards there. Go Buffs. Wait, is it Go Bison or Go Buffs? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Scott, chime in. <laughs> Phone in a friend. <laughs> so after Glenn drops out, he decides to pursue a career in music. He starts studying and plays with some different groups. He has some success in 1928 when he publishes a songbook. And he also married his college sweetheart, Helen Berger, that year. So Glenn's doing pretty well. He's working with people like Tommy Dorsey and Benny Goodman. And again, if you aren't 80 years old, those are other famous band leaders. And he's even in a few movies. But in 1938, the stars align and Glenn finally has his own band. And their popularity grew after a few prominent gigs they had. And in 1939, Time Magazine even noted, of the 12 to 24 discs in each of today's 300,000 U.S. jukeboxes, from two to six are usually Glenn Miller's. Also, in 1940, the band's version of Tuxedo Junction sold over 115,000 copies in the first week. Okay, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. From 1939 to 1942, Miller's band was playing three nights a week on CBS radio, sponsored by Chesterfield Cigarettes, which are still made today. Sponsor us, too. (laughs) He received his first gold record in 1942 for Chattanooga Choo Choo, but at the peak of his career in 1942, he decided to join the war effort. He tried to join the Navy, but they wouldn't take him at 38 years old. It was too old. So he wrote to a friend in the Army and persuaded him to let him join the Army band. However, he was transferred to the Army Air Corps, a.k.a. the Air Force. Yeah, and Glenn isn't your typical soldier. Instead, he's placed in charge of a modernized Army band. So he eventually forms a 50-piece Army Air Force band and takes it over to England in the summer of 1944, where he gave 800 performances. When summarizing Glenn's military career, General Jimmy Doolittle said, Next to a letter from home, that organization was the greatest morale builder in the European theater of operations. It's kind of crazy. I know. So sweet that he, like, left his fame to do this. (laughs) Good dude. Yeah. So on December 15th, 1944, Glenn disappeared after boarding a small plane. He was traveling from London to Paris to make future arrangements for his band. The plane was a single-engine UC-64 Norseman, and he was with two other passengers, Lieutenant Colonel Norman Basil and the pilot John Morgan. The plane disappeared after flying over the English Channel. Glenn's disappearance was not made public until nine days later on December 24th when the Associated Press announced he would not be conducting the scheduled BBC broadcast AEF Christmas show the following day. Instead, the band's deputy leader stood in his place. Glenn left behind his wife Helen and his two kids, Stephen and Johnny, who the Millers had adopted. Helen died in 1966 and his son Stephen in 2012. His daughter Johnny purchased and restored the birth house in Clarinda, Iowa and started the Glenn Miller Foundation. And there's also this great movie called The Glenn Miller Story that was made in 1954 and stars Jimmy Stewart as Glenn Miller and is the reason that I know and love this story. In 2019, it was reported that TIGAR, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, will investigate Glenn's disappearance. Excited to talk disappearance slash murder theories, but let's get taps on the line as well. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for joining Welcome from the great white north. 
Well, like we said earlier on the show, this episode is a little different from our usual Iowa murders. Instead, it's about a famous Iowan, Glenn Miller, and his disappearance slash maybe murder. And we know you have some military experience, so we'd love to discuss these theories with you. Okay. Okay, let's dive into these conspiracies first, and maybe the craziest is Glenn Miller never boarded the plane, but he was assassinated after General and later President Dwight Eisenhower sent him on a secret mission one or two days earlier to negotiate a surrender from Nazi Germany. Okay, Taps, have you heard of this theory before? I just read about it, and it's pretty crazy. (laughs) First of all, what significance would Glenn Miller have to negotiating a surrender with Nazi Germany. He okay, was that was politician. our question as well. <laughs> he's not a politician. He's not a historian. He's not a diplomat. But maybe Hitler had a crazy obsession with him. Like we know Hitler had a list of celebrities that he admired and wanted in Germany, like Clark Gable. Well, by the time Glenn Miller died, the Allied strategy was unconditional surrender of Germany. So I cannot imagine any allied general officer or politician deciding it was time to negotiate with Hitler when Hitler was on the run. I mean, what? there was no benefit to that. Okay. Allie, do you know why this conspiracy was created? Is there any background on it? I didn't have background to it. No, it it doesn't have any background with it. I mean, this was the first I had ever heard of that. I mean, (laughs) and it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Same. I agree with Taps on this one. <laughs> you guys wouldn't send a band leader to negotiate a surrender. A trombonist or what what did you yeah. when you play the trombone? Yeah, a yeah. trombonist. I mean trombone is a fighting instrument, you know? <laughs> it is. I actually own one. Do you play oh. the trombone? I did year forty years ago. Were you a Glenn Miller fan? Uh kind of. Is that why you selected the trombone? No. Wow. Uh, at the time I selected the trombone, I thought Glenn Miller was a farm kid in my high school. <laughs> Do you think you could still play a scale today on the trombone? Um, it would be very difficult. Do you want First, us to add this to your list of accomplishments? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can pucker up for the freaking mouthpiece anymore. I don't think so either. I used to play the trumpet and I'm like, I think it's just all dead now. All right. Okay. Let's, let's do the second theory. The second theory is Glenn made it to Paris where he died of a heart attack in a bordello or brothel. Do we think this is possible? Well, I mean, I think Martians landing are possible, but I think very improbable. It's not unlikely of like, you don't, I mean, you hear of military men going abroad and coming home with wives from other countries. That is true. But Glenn Miller at the time would have been, you know, the Taylor Swift of today. Yeah. He, he couldn't have moved around in France without somebody recognizing him. And I just, I can't imagine that as a plausible theory. I guess I, I can't really argue with you there, but I liked your Taylor Swift reference. <laughs> that might be the only Taylor Swift reference you ever hear from me. <laughs> okay, third theory already. Any other thoughts on that one? I don't think so. I also agree with Taps again. Maybe it's the Jimmy Stewart portrayal of Glenn Miller, but I just can't see him doing that to his wife. You've got such high expectations. <laughs> exactly. Here. Okay, third theory. 
The small plane he was on was destroyed by bombs dropped from a group of Allied bombers passing overhead on their way back from an aborted mission over Germany. So first question is, would this be possible? It, that is definitely plausible. The plane Miller was flying in was a single engine observation plane. It was actually a plane built in Canada before the war for bush pilots in Alaska and far northern Canada. Carried about 10 or 12 people. So its altitude was, would be very minimal, probably 12 or 14,000 feet maximum. Whereas Allied bombers would have been much higher than that. It was also very common for bombers to jettison their bomb load after an aborted mission because they did not want to try to land with the bomb load intact. But, and I think this is going to go to your third theory, I have read the article from the Miller investigationist, I guess, from the University of Colorado. Mm -hmm. And he has actually plotted the two courses of Miller's plane and the bombers and says categorically they did not intersect during their flights. But do you think if the military knew at the time that they had accidentally killed Glenn Miller, do you think they would have admitted it? I think it would have been admitted after the war, maybe. I could see where they may have put a lid on it when it occurred just because of the war effort, whatever. But my feeling about government and about the military is if two people know about it, everybody will know about it at some point. And I just don't see him keeping a lid on it after the war. What about, like you mentioned, he was so popular that everyone knew where he was. Would the military really not know that it was, or is this just an accident, I guess, just pure accident? Uh, Again, from the University of Colorado article, it sounded like the weather was very poor on the day he flew. And remember that in World War II, the the ability to fly in instruments in bad weather was pretty minimal. Uh, Most of them relied on low frequency, we called it ADF, automatic direction finder frequencies, and it wasn't very precise. So either one, the bombers or Glenn Miller, could have been off course to what they were published, the courses they were published to be on. Gotcha. But uh, this, this guy seems to have done some pretty credible investigation in that area. Okay, so let's go into that last theory. Like Tap said, there's a University of Colorado Boulder professor. Remember, that's the college that Glenn dropped out of. Um, his name is Dennis Sprague, and he studied the disappearance. So Dennis has investigated Glenn's disappearance by traveling to DC, London, and the Air Force archives. And he's confident that this is what actually happened. He said, Glenn's plane went down in mere seconds over the channel, instantly killing him, the other officer and pilot, likely because fuel lines from wing tanks froze. The steel framed wood and fabric plane all but disintegrated, sending its heavy Pratt Whitney engine plunging to the bottom. Ironically, as Sprague told the producers of the PBS show History Detectives, That not-so-mysterious conclusion was reached by investigators just days after the plane went down, but documents from the investigation were boxed up after the war and sent to the U.S. and locked away. So it was right there all this time, but all the researchers trying to follow the trail of Glenn Miller just didn't have access to it, says Alan Cass, founder of the curator of the Glenn Miller Archive. So Dennis Sprague also covered why the other conspiracy theories don't really work. Uh, Number one, with the secret negotiation mission from Dwight Eisenhower, more than a dozen witnesses saw Miller board the plane on the 15th. So he definitely did board the plane. 
Uh, number two, those rumors of a heart attack in a French bordello were concocted by Nazi propaganda chief Hermann Goring and broadcast only after Supreme Headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Force announced Miller's death on December 24th. And there's a quote from Sprague here, and he was a straight arrow. Anyone who says that has just been regurgitating a story that originated with the Germans. And number three, using flight logs in the discovery that another plane actually was accidentally bombed, Sprague shot holes in the friendly fire theory, no pun intended, in order for Miller's plane to have been taken down by the flight of Lancaster bombers. Time would have had to shift by an hour, and the small plane would have had to be 20 degrees off course. This theory grew out of a tall tale told by one of the Lancaster pilots in a bar in South Africa in 1984. And that's what Taps you were referring to. Yeah. So other questions um, for you, I guess. If the plane went down in water, isn't there a better chance of survival or was it different in that kind of plane in the 1940s? It would depend on the circumstances that brought his plane down. Mm -hmm. If his plane iced, had carburetor icing, which was very common and is still common today in carbureted engines on planes. And most planes built before the about 19, mid 1970s were carbureted. When you fly those planes, you actually turn a lever in the plane when you're getting ready to land or when the engine begins to run rough called carburetor heat. And it just bypasses heat from the engine into the carburetor so that ice, if it builds up inside the carburetor, melts before it causes any kind of problems with the engine. If that was the cause of the plane going down, the engine would have sputtered, maybe even died, and there would be a chance that they could have ditched the plane in the sea, depending on how rough the seas are. And remember, notoriously, the English Channel and the seas around England are notoriously rough. Yeah. But if the plane went down because of icing on the fuselage or the wings, it could have spiraled into the ocean, which would leave hardly any wreckage or it would just disintegrate the plane. Airplanes, when they collect ice, there's a couple of things that happen to them. One is they become much heavier, obviously, from the ice accumulation, and the center of gravity and or the extra weight of the aircraft puts it down. The ice can also cloud the vision of the pilot by icing over the windshields and things of that nature. And more critically, ice on the wings interrupts the Bernoulli's principle which allows air to flow across the wing to cause it lift. And it disrupts that lift and the wing stalls and loses airspeed. And that would cause the plane to go into the ocean at what we would call a death spiral, where there would be hardly any wreckage left. And so that's what Sprague is referring to. That's yes. what he thinks happened. That's okay. what he believes. And that's very, very common. Even today, many light airplanes go down in icing condition, depending on if a pilot flies into them. And remember, it can be warm at the surface, but the two-degree temperature lapse rate usually means that the temperature is going to go down at least two degrees Fahrenheit for every 1,000 or 2,000 feet you go up. And there's also variances in temperatures and layers of the atmosphere. It's just like the ocean. There could be a warm thermal layer or a cold layer. And if you get into one of those layers where it could be raining, but it turns to ice in that layer, it could have took the engine or it could have iced the plane over. And just for everyone listening, can you share why you know so much about planes? I fly. <laughs> I have flown for 40, 40 years. Cool. I guess so. Are we all in conclusion that we're buying Sprague's story? It, to kind me, of. It, it's the most plausible. 
Yeah, I want to believe the Dwight Eisenhower theory, but... <laughs> Sorry, Allie. I know. It's so disappointing that conspiracy theories are, like, never true, you know? They're so fun. Right. Such a boring real answer. <laughs> all right, well... Thanks, Taps, for your insight on this and all of your knowledge on flying planes. We appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, Facts, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.